All right, Jabal say good morning. Let us let us begin. I want to begin by thanking our sponsors. First of all, I, I neglected, I, I, I omitted one of our sponsors from yesterday, Tali and Michelle Strom for dedicating the daf. With Akara Satov to HaKadosh Baruch on the birth of a baby boy to their children, a new grandson, Rivka and Rafi Strom here in Baltimore. Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Tishrei, Avram and Shane Kelman for dedicating all the Shurim and Joshua's memory of their parents, for Jack Bennett for dedicating the Shurim this month in memory of Givati Brigade First Sergeant Nikolai Rappaport, and for Dr. Linda Weinberg for dedicating the Shurim this month in memory of her husband, Dr. Paul Weinberg, Paris Moshe Ben Avram David. Our week of learning sponsors, Rosen and Miller family, Families, as is Chusra for Shlomer for Chaim Yosef Ben Batya, Said and Simahakin for dedicating the week of learning in honor of Rabbi Richter, Chaim Nachman, Richard Buck, Meishi Abramson, Gabi Kohn for graciously volunteering to make the outdoor minyanim happen for for Rosh Hashanah. And the Stanger and Weinberg family in honor of Doug Stanger's special birthday. Thank you to all of our sponsors for their generosity. And with that, let us begin. We have a lot to do today. Today's daf is Tesvav 15, but we are picking up on Yudalad Bay's 14b, and I believe we left off right at the Gemara, right? We did the Mishnah, the second to last Mishnah on the daf. So we're picking up at Tani Rabbi Remember again, the Mishnah ended off with Imachlokes regarding what type of gifts one is permitted to go ahead and send on Yom Tov. So Bishamai said, you could only send monos. Monos means already ready prepared food. Basilil said, you pretty much send whatever you want. Animals, flowers, uh, wine, anything, but not tvua, not grain, not grain. And again, Bishamai's logic for that is because halacha lemaisa, we're not going gr- to grind grain on Yom Tiv. That could have been done before Yom Tiv with the same qualitative results. Therefore, you can't go and send it on Yom Tiv. Says the Gemara. So, Tani Rabbi Chiel, So, interestingly enough, the Gemara says as follows. That Halacha Lamai says, as much as you can send the gift on Yom Tiv, you can't send the gift. Shura literally means with a row of people. This is actually very interesting. You can't send the gift with a large number of people. In other words, right? Let's say I want to send Ruvain a gift. So I can't send him a gift with a delegation, a group. Now what's the pshat? If you take a look at Rashi, Shalom Yasen Abishura, Lo Yishala Chadron Aide Anashim Harbei, Da'avsham Yosa, Venirim Kimolichim Limkar Bashok. So this is very interesting because it has the appearance as if they're going ahead and taking something to the market to, to sell it. Interesting. So, Tana, So, by the way, how much is a group? Three people. Three people. So, by Ravashi, plus a Gabri, plus a Mini Mai, what about the following case? What if you send three gifts with three people? So, let's say I'm sending Shimon three gifts, right? Three different gifts. And I'm giving him, and each, I'm sending one person to hold each gift. Is that still called a Shura, right? Is that still called a lot of people? Good. Rabbi Shimon Matir Betvur, Rabbi Shimon says you can even go ahead and send grain. So Tanya, Rabbi Shimon Matir Betvur, okay, go and chit and lasos nem ludios, sorum litin lef nebe hemdo, adoshim lasos nem resisin, because it was Rabbi Shimon is of the opinion that halacha la maisa. See, the reason why Basilo didn't want you sending grain, didn't want you sending wheat, was because halacha la maisa, he felt that 
grain is not going to be something that you're utilizing on Yom Tov itself. Right? It's therefore the only right, and you could have gone ahead and, if you're going to prepare it, you could have prepared it Erev Yom Tov. The point over here that Rabbi Shimon is making is that there are impactful ways to use grain even on Yom Tov itself. So for example, to go ahead, if you have, if you have wheat, you'd make these ludios, these are just different dishes. Sorim, you would give us animal feed, and ultimately adoshim to make groats. Good. Says the Mishnah. Mishachim Kilman, suppose we passing again in general, you know, we passing like Basilel, that halacha lamaisa again, halacha lamaisa. You could send whatever kind of gifts you want to anyone on Yom Tiv. Now, the wheat piece, interestingly enough, is fascinating because, again, as you've already established in yesterday's daf, you cannot do something on Yom Tiv that could have been done on Erev Yom Tiv with the same qualitative results. So, for example, as much as you could bake bread on Yom Tiv, you can't grind grain. You can't grind grain. Why? Because the grinding of grain could have been done with the same exact qualitative results as Erev Yom Tiv. Now, if you need to bake bread, but you don't have grain, you forgot to grind your grain on Erev Yom Tiv, can you grind your grain on Yom Tiv? The answer is... Yes, but going back to yesterday's daf with the shinui, right? That's whenever we have a grinding shayla, we always go back. The, de- the default is you could do it if you have to, but with the shinui. Says the Mishnah, Mishal from Kalim, Bain Tfurim, Bain Shem Tfurim, Afabri Shem Listen to this, Rabbi This is fascinating. You could send, now that we're in the topic of gifts, right? It's the season, right? So now that we're taught on the topic of gifts and you're sending gifts on Yom Tiv, we've established like Basil, you can send whatever you want. You could also send Kalim. That will say, Kalim could mean utensils, but it could also mean, as we're going to see, articles of clothing. Rashi says over here, Begadim. Rashi says it actually means clothing. Bain tfurin, whether they are fully sewn. Bain she'en tfurin, or they're not fully sewn. Ve'afapi sheish ben kilayim. Listen to this. You could even send a gift of clothing to someone, even if what? Even if it has shatness. Even if it has shatness. Ve'hein l'tzorach As long as the gift that you're sending has some type of purpose on yamtiv. That we'll discuss what exactly a garment with shatness has, what purpose that would have on Yontiv itself. That we'll discuss. Avalos sandal hamsumer, but you cannot go ahead and send a sandal hamsumer. I both say we had sandal hamsumer back in back in Shabbos, which essentially is a sandal with cleats. Now their cleats were nails on the bottom. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says Avalos sandal shall eat mitsupa art. This was a Wooden sandal that was covered with they're covered with leather, umisamros kavuin umasmoros excuse me kavuin bow and ultimately it had nails on the bottom, it had nails on the bottom. So it says the gemara you can't go ahead and send that on yomtiv. Now we're going to discuss the reason for that in the gemara. you also can't send an unsewn shoe. So we'll discuss this case as well, which seems like an incomplete shoe. You also can't send a white shoe. Because a white shoe is incomplete and needs a craftsman in order to fully complete it. Here's the rule. Anything which is of benefit on Yom Tiv, that you would wear or get dressed up in or utilize on Yom Tiv, ultimately you can send it. So it sounds like what the Mishnah is saying is, what can you send as a gift on Yom Tiv? Anything that is purposeful 
and meaningful has a benefit. Again, we'll see how to reconcile that with some of the items mentioned in the Mishnah that don't seem to be all that purposeful on Yom Tif, but we'll see. Says the Yimara, clothing that's fully sewn, it's usable on Yom Tif. Why? It's usable as article of clothing. Even if it's not fully sewn, I also understand it's usable. Why? Because you can use it as what? As a cover. Right? You could cover yourself with it. But how am I allowed to send an article of clothing that shatnes? What purpose does a shatnes article of clothing have on Yom Tiv? So maybe you'll say, well, as much as you can't wear a shatnes article of clothing, you could lay down on top of it. Right? You could sit on top of it. So the Gemara says, "Vahatanya, we learned lo yala alecha." The pasuk says, "Shatnis." The, the lotion of the pasuk by Shatnis about says, "Lo yala alecha." Ultimately, again, begit klaim Shatnis lo yala alecha. The article of clothing that Shatnis cannot come upon you. So avalata yachol atzio tachtecha. So we'll say, technically speaking, you see, you can't wear Shatnis. But technically speaking, if you have, let's say, a Shatnis garment that you wanted to spread out under you. You could lay down on it. You could sit on it. You just you just can't wrap yourself in it. But the Chum say you're not even allowed to sit on an article of clothing that shatnes. Why? Because this is very interesting. What's the concern? The concern is that if we allow you to sit on an article of clothing that is shatnes, what may happen? You know, we'll say you may come to wrap yourself a little bit in it. Now, literally, it means even one thread may come to get wrapped on you. Now, the moment it's wrapped on you is the moment that you do have a shatness problem. So, therefore, again, so, we'll say, so maybe you'll say, well, the case in the Mishnah is where, again, there's a shatness article of clothing that's light flat. You're sitting on top of it. I, Chazal said, you can't even do that. It's a concern that you may come to wrap yourself in it. Well, maybe I have like this. Maybe there's something on top of the shatness garment between me and the garment. So that there's really no concern that the garment may come to wrap itself on me or I may come to wrap myself in it. In the name of the Kehila Kedosha in Yerushalayim, even if you have 10 mattresses, one on top of the other, and there's shatnis underneath it, Asr lishan alehem. You are not permitted to lie on it. So if Rabbi say pretty much what it comes down to is, not only can you not wear shatnis, that's doraisa. But the Rabbanon, you can't what? Lay on shatnis out of a concern that you may come to wrap yourself in it. And the rabbinic gezer of not even laying on shatnis is so significant that even if there's some type of interposition between me and the shatnis, I still can't lay on it. So we're back to our original question, which is the Mishnah said, I'm allowed to send a gift of a baggage of a garment of clothing, even if the garment is shatness. But then the Mishnah says you can only send a purposeful gift on Yom Tiv. So how is there a purpose in sending a garment that's shatness? Ella bevilon. Very interesting. Curtains. Curtains. Great gift. Right? I'm sending curtains. And the curtains happen to have shatnas in it. So the Mishnah is telling me I could send shatnas. I'm saying, now that's a great answer. Why is that a great answer? Because at least I would think shatnas and curtains, 
No problem. No problem. Because after all, again, I'm not laying down on it. I'm not wearing it. Vamra Ulam Ma Amru Vilon Tame. Ulam said, there is a problem. Because we'll say, interestingly enough, curtains could contract Tumo. Why is that? Mipne Shashamis Mishamim Kenegdo. Because we'll say, listen to this. It was common if a person has Shamish, you have a butler, right? The butler gets a little bit chilly. What does the butler do when he gets a little bit chilly? He just wraps himself in the curtain for a moment to wrap up, to, to warm up. So hello, again, everybody's butler does this. I'm just saying it's so common. So, right, so, so, so Lemaisa, again, Lemaisa, the Gemara says, even, even shatnas in a curtain is actually problematic. So, so what's the case? Top of Tezvav, Ella, Bikoshin. Rather, you have to say what we're talking about over here are stiff begadim. They both say when it comes to stiff begadim, this heartfelt, heartfelt from the city of Narash, Sharia, does not have any issue ultimately again of shatnis. Now, again, you're not wearing it, you're sitting on it. So, this is actually very interesting. As much as we saw before that there is a Isr Durabanon, to sit on shatnas, apparently that Isra Durabanan only applies to soft materials. But if you have very hard and stiff material, so that therefore what? There's no concern that what? It's, it's not gonna wrap around me because I can't. That's just not the nature of the garment. Apparently, one would be permitted to go ahead and sit on a garment like that, even if that garment has shatnas. So therefore, we'll say, it turns out that Allah the Mishnah says that you could send a gift of a garment of shatnas on Yom Tiv. It's a very specific case, like this Namto Gamdo de Narash, the heartfelt of the city of Narash, that would be permitted. Incredible. Amra Papa, Ardolin, Ein Bahen Mishum Kilan. This is an interesting case also. Rashi says, this has nothing to do with anything, this just has to do with that we're talking about Shatnas now. Ardolin Rashi says, Raisi Bichuvas Hageonim, Sherigilin Lelav Shantachas Menalehen, Vitolin Alehen Or Shaltayashim, Meuba, Dintachas Karka Osan, Okinagada Egev Sharegal Yesh Osin Osan Shaltzemer. So we'll say, so apparently this was like some type of additional leather layer that people would place underneath their shoes and by the sole, they would place some extra wool. So it's possible they would get some, some shatnas over there, but since this was essentially underneath the sole of the shoe, it does not pose a shatnas problem. Good. So the Gemara goes back to Amarava, still just a little bit more shatnas. Hanitzroi dipshiti, einba mishum kilayin. Well, this is an interesting case. What happens if you have a money pouch and the money pouch has shatnas? They will say, up until we learn this Gemara, you would say to yourself, what? You would have said, shot is money pouch, problem or not? Not at all, right? But now we begin to see that, watch this, anytime you have a garment that could potentially kind of wrap around your body in some way, that could cause a little bit of a shotness issue. I mean, not a little bit, that could cause a shotness issue, right? Like we saw, like laying down on a garment that shotness, there's a concern, or even for that matter, the curtain, Anything you could wrap. So the Gemara says, what happens if you have a shot in his money pouch? There's no problem of kilayim. Why? Because the coins inside of it essentially stiffen the pouch. And because of that, the pouch doesn't really wrap around the body at all. On the flip side, the barzon if you have a seed pouch, Right, if you have a pouch in which you keep seeds. So because they're softer, right, therefore again, there could be a problem with keeping that on your person, Alt Shatnas, because that pouch 
could potentially kind of wrap itself a little bit around your body and cause a problem of being nehana, of getting benefit from shan. It's incredible. Ravashi says, nah, neither of them are a problem of kilayim. Why not? Because we'll say, that's, not a, that's a non-normative act of warming oneself with a garment. In other words, the act of wearing something is obvious. Even the act of wrapping one's self with a garment is 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 a normal case, right? Right. I'm laying down on I'm laying down on a, on a garment. The, the act of, of of kind of wrapping myself in it a little bit is normal. But no one no one warms themselves with their money patch, right? With money patch, money pouch. You know that that's just no no one says, "Oh, I'm a little bit chilly. Let me you know let me wrap myself in my money pouch." You know that 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 doesn't happen. So because it's a non-normative form of chimum of warming oneself, therefore no problem with kilayim. Incredible. Avalo sandal hamasumer. So we'll say, so Mishnah said you can't wear the sandal hamasumer. So sandal hamasumer my time off. We'll say, what's the reason you can't send? A sandal hamasumer on yamtiv. So the Gemara says mishum ma'ase shahaya because of the episode which occurred. Now, both say remember again we saw this in Meseches Shabbos. Rashi references this ma'isa, and Rashi says ultimately again he says shegazu chachamim shalo shalav shalo lenalo b'Shabbos yontov mishum ma'ase shahaya shenergu harugim b'Shabbos al yodo. Both remember again this was a very cryptic story because the Gemara doesn't really give a lot of a lot of a lot of details. All the Gemara tells us is like this: there was a shas hashmat. It was a time of, of, of decrees where the Jews were in hiding, right? So remember again, what they said was, what they said was, whoever, once you come into the cave, they were hiding in a cave. Once you come into the cave, you can't go out. What ended up happening was someone wore a sandal hamasumar. And as a result of the way they were walking, it looked like there were additional sets of tracks. Because remember again, a sandal hamasumar is like cleats, has nails on the bottom. There were additional tracks coming in. People panicked. People panicked because they thought someone had infiltrated the cave, and ultimately there was a stampede. And, and Rahman they trampled each other and they killed each other. Now there's a whole there's a whole number of, of different. Was it that they thought someone someone came in? Was it that they trampled each other because everyone was wearing the sandal hamasumar, and that's how 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 horrifically they killed each other? Whatever it is, whatever the exact details are, we know that the tragedy happened as a result of this sandal hamasumer. As a result of the, of the, and you see what we'll say, by the way, that, that clearly there are certain tragedies. You know, here's what's always interesting is, Kalal Yisrael, we're no stranger to tragedies, right? And, and, we've, and we've endured every single tragedy. It's always interesting to see when Chazal make a gzera based on a tragedy, right? Here you have this tragedy, the sandal hamasumer, which again, Salim the Gemara tells us how many people died, I don't know how many people died. Uh, the Gemara doesn't tell us. The Gemara doesn't tell us a number. I don't know what to make of that. Maybe it wasn't such a large number. Every, every, every life is, is, is a world. But what, what, what does it mean? But it's interesting to know that there's a Xera based on an event that we can't even fully place historically. We don't even know exactly where it happened. But you see that there are certain things that are just so unbearable. Certain things that are just so profoundly painful that they motivate Chazal to act. And, and it's interesting because what's happening over here, it's a stampede. 
It's a stampede of Jews against Jews, meaning there's the, the idea, first of all, of stampeding and people losing their life in that tragic way. And the idea of Jews killing other Jews inadvertently. Inadvertently. This, this was a result of confusion and panic. So you see that Chazal understood that a tragedy of that proportion requires gzera. If only we could just look at this in a historical context and not you know, recognize that we lived through a year in Meron where we saw Sandal Hamasumer tragedy. We saw this type of stampede tragedy and we see that a tragedy like that, it weighs on the consciousness in a, di- in a different way. There's something, there's something different about what happened in Meron that sometimes is hard to articulate and hard to put into words, but it's a Sandal Hamasumer tragedy. And you see we something that Chazal felt compelled to act. So the Gemara says, So you're not allowed to wear a sandal hamasumer, but interestingly enough, it's not mukta. Isn't that interesting? It's not mukta. So the Gemara says, So okay, you're not allowed to wear it, based on what we just said before, right? Because of what happened. But you are permitted to carry it. Now, how do I know that? See, what does the Mishnah say? You can't send, the, you can't send a gift of a Sandal Hamasumer to someone else. Now, the fact that it says you can't send it presupposes that what? That what? Right? Well, that, that, you, that, you, can't, that, that you can move it. Right? Remember again, if it was Muktza, if it was Muktza, there's not a Shaila. Right? Not a so the fact that it says you can't send it indicates to me that I'm allowed to move it, right? I'm allowed to move it. There's no Isra Mukta. Hashla Tatuli says, Interesting enough, because Allah said, if it was Mukta, then it's not a Shala that what? If it's Mukta, it's not a Shala, of course you can't send it. The fact that the Mishnah has to tell me I can't send it tells me I'm not allowed to wear it, but yet, interestingly enough, it's not Mukta. Good. You also can't send a shoe that is not fully sewn or that is not sewn. So pshita. They will say, now an unsewn shoe, bepashtos what? Should be moktza. It's not usable for anything. So of course you can't send it as a gift. No, no, no. We're talking about a shoe. Rashi says two interpretations over here. Either it means it's attached by pegs, like the body of the shoe and the sole of the shoe are attached by pegs, or just by a couple of stitches. So meaning... It's stitched, but temporarily stitched. In other words, it won't hold, so it's, it's, it holds enough. It holds enough to go ahead and potentially wear it, but it's not permanent. So because it's not really a usable shoe, therefore, halacha lamaisi, you can't send it. Rabbi Huda Omer, aflo min you also can't send white shoes. Tanya, Rabbi Huda, matir b'shachar, v'asr b'lavan. Rabbi Huda says you can send black shoes, but you can't send white shoes. Why? Because white shoes, I will say, no one wore white shoes. There are certain fashion things that don't change, right? And you don't wear white shoes. I would say, so, so a white shoe was an unfinished product. It still required pizzas, Hagir, Rashi says over here, was a like clump of dirt. So what, you have, what would you do with white shoes? You would, you would, you would smear them. You would sting them with dirt, with, with a clump of dirt. So because it's an unfinished product, Therefore, halacha lamaisi can't send it on yamtiv. Rabbi Yossi oser b'shachar. Interestingly enough, Rabbi Yossi would hold that you can't send black shoes. Why? Because just because the shoe was black doesn't mean it was a finished product. You would still have to smooth it out. So the idea, I will say, is what they're saying is you can only send a finished product on yamtiv. So whatever, if the shoe's unfinished, 
you can't send it. And they're not arguing. They're just reflecting the norms in their local locales. Ba'asrei demar. Bisra lesachas ba'asrei demar. Bisra labose. It's actually very interesting. It also depended how you situated the hide vis-a-vis the shoe, right? Was the hide or was the flesh side of the hide towards the inside of the shoe? Was the flesh side of the hide to the outside of the shoe? That depends if what. Now again, that 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 will that will that will determine is the outside of your shoe white, right? The flesh side of the hide facing uh, facing out, or is the outside of your shoe black? The flesh side of the hide facing in. So they're saying the same thing, which is you're only permitted to send the shoe if the shoe is wearable and the shoe is finished. If the shoe is not yet finished, you can't send it. Beautiful. This is beautiful. Rav Sheishas allowed the Rabbanim to send a gift of tefillin to each other on Yom Tiv. A gift of tefillin. Incredible. So but one second, we learned in the Mishnah that what type of gift are you permitted to go ahead and send on Yom Tiv? Anything that's usable. That's usable on Yom Tiv. If you look at the Mishnah said you could send whatever you want on Yom Tiv, but again, it sounded like what the Mishnah was saying is Kol Osan which means anything that you could benefit from on Yom Tiv itself. And Tfilin you can't benefit from on Yom Tiv. So he explained, this is what it really means to say. No, no, no. What it means is anything that is a fully finished product on the weekday, you can send on Yom Tiv. Now what the logic of that is going to be, We'll have to see in a moment. But I will say this is actually a dramatic reinterpretation. So up until now, we were focusing on how do you know if you can send it on Yom Tiv? If it's usable on Yom Tiv, you can send it on Yom Tiv. Now we're saying no. As long as it's a fully complete, completed product at the onset of Yom Tiv or during the week or by Erev Yom Tiv, you can send it on Yom Tiv, even if what? Even if what? Even if the object does not really have a yomtiv purpose. This is incredible. Amra Baye. So we'll say that's the end of the discussion. It's interesting. Now the Yamara kind of says, by the way, now that we brought up Tfilin, this is very exciting. Let's talk about Tfilin. Amra Baye, Tfilin Hoyova Asaliyadan, Nemo Buhu Milsa. Abaye says, now that we brought up Tfilin, let's talk about Tfilin. If a person was traveling Erev Shabbos, Erev Shabbos, and he was wearing his Tfilin, and the sun begins to set. So what should he do? Keep, put your hand over your shorosh, cover up your shorosh until you get to your home. In other words, we'll say, you're permitted to continue wearing your tefillin. We'll, we'll discuss the parameters of this until you get to your house and you can take it off. Remember, the idea behind this is, we saw this in Mesech Shabbos, tefillin, interestingly enough, has the status of a beged, has the status of a malbush. And therefore, again, although we don't wear tefillin on Shabbos, if you're already wearing tefillin, and we're going to see you don't have a place where you could deposit them, you could wear them all the way home. Let's say you're sitting in the base medrash, and you're tefillin on your head. It's Arab Shabbos. And now Shabbos is coming. You keep your hands on until you go ahead and get home. The lotion of keeping your hands on it is covering it. Covering it, 
It's not about the shalyad because the assumption is the shalyad is always covered, right? But it means the shalrosh you cover up your shalrosh gom. Master from Rabbi Ga Hayababa Derech Utfilin Baroshos Rav Rav Huna Borla Pakashin. He said, "One second, there's another brisa. Brisa is the person was traveling Utfilin Baroshon. His tefillin is on his head. The kiddush alav hayom, and ultimately, it becomes Shabbos." The first statement you said you can wear your tefillin where? Where? Until you get home. Now I say, no, no, you can't wear your tefillin until you get home. You can wear your tefillin until you get to the home closest to the wall of your city. So we sitting in the base medrash and Shabbos comes. You can wear them until you get to the home closest to the base medrash. So which one is it? The first price is that you can wear the tefillin until you get home. Second one is that you can wear it until you get to this, these, these identified homes. What the Gemara means is like this. If it's Shabbos, Shabbos comes and you're wearing your tefillin, you could wear them until when? You could find a place to safely deposit them. But you got to find the closest place to safely deposit them. So if the closest place is your house, then what? Then what? You could wear it home. But if the safest place is another house, for example, the house closest to the wall of the home, or the house closest to the base medrash, there's a safer, closer place, there's a closer, safe place to deposit the tefillin, deposit the tefillin there. So the Gemara says, my area barosho, if that's the case, then why are we only framing this as a case where you're already wearing tefillin? In fact, again, if you find tefillin in the open, afilu machton ba'aranami, well, see, we saw this case, if you're walking, and you find a pair of tefillin on the ground, right? And it's Shabbos. What do you do? Hamoti tefillin machnisin zug zug. Both say, what do you do? You put them on and you wear them to safety. You wear them to safety. So this is a din. This is a din. Even halacha l'maisah, if you're not already wearing your seat. The case of already wearing your tefillin is almost like an easier case. I'm already wearing it. I put it on beheter. Right now, Shabbos comes. I could wear it to safety. But there's even a bigger case than that. You find tefillin on Shabbos. You find tefillin on Shabbos. So what do you do? Literally, you put it on, you wear it to safety. Because tefillin has a din of a baggage, of a malbush. Lokasha hadimintura. Machmas Ganvi Umachmas Kalbi Hadimintura Machmas Kalbi Philomintura Machmas Ganvi. Both say this is very interesting, to which the Gibara says it's referring to two different cases. Two different cases. That Halakhalamaisaf, one is talking about a situation where the, where you could guard the tefillin, the tefillin are guarded from thieves, right? From thieves and from dogs, and one is from dogs but not from thieves. So both say, so the idea is, it requires different shmira, right? Animals will go ahead and just destroy anything. But thieves will dafka steal something. So there's different levels of shmira depending on the circumstances. Maudutay must also listen to this kimara. What would you have thought? Look, first of all, look at Rashi. Velo mintura, velo mintura, machmas kanvi. It's the last Rashi. Rashi says, if you find tefillin on the ground, if you find tefillin on the ground, and the tefillin ultimately, again, are safe from animals, even if they're not safe from thieves, in other words, they're safe from desecration. They're safe from desecration, even if they're not safe from theft, you leave them, as long as they're safe from desecration. 
If you're wearing your tefillin, if you're wearing your tefillin, you have a greater license of mobility. So even if the wearing tefillin, they're already safe from animals, you could still wear them to safety in order to what? Keep them safe from thieves. To which the Gnosis also listen to this. So Ganvi, so what, what does this mean? Sorry, Ma'ud Detema, Rov Lifstim Yisrael Ninhu, Velomazazalibahu, what would you have thought? The majority of thieves are Jews. Now, both say, let's qualify that statement very carefully, right? We're talking about over here, it's Erev Yom Kippur, not good to speak Lashon Nahara about Jews. Right? So, both say, so remember, we're talking about a locale where the majority of people are Jews. So the assumption is if, if you live in a place where the majority of people are Jews, just st- statistically, the majority of Ganovim are going to be Jews as well. So I might have thought that if I live in a place where the majority of thieves are Jews, because the majority of inhabitants are Jews, that even if I'm wearing the tefillin, I have to take them off and deposit them immediately as long as they're safe from dogs, because I don't have to worry about theft, right? They don't have to worry about desecration from thieves. Why? Because since they're Jews, since they're Jews, they're not going to desecrate tefillin. Kamash Molon, that's not the case. Kamash Molon Abayi says that once you're wearing the tefillin, you're permitted to wear them to safety, not just from dogs, but even from thieves as well. Even from thieves as well. So we'll say, so we'll just, we'll, 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 I'll just mention on this last Gemara, there's an incredible, incredible Yisod. So we'll say, what's the Havamina? The Havamina is that even if a Jew is a Ganav, even if he's a Ganav, everybody respects tefillin. Everybody respects tefillin. So again, a person, obviously we know this because we live with this in our own lives. Just because I am deficient in one area doesn't make me deficient in every area. This is an incredibly important yisod, right? So I do plenty of averas. I do averas A, B, C, D, and E. That doesn't mean that I commit every avera. And it doesn't mean that I commit every single chait, right? So that's the havamina, right? The havamina is just because the guy is a ganav doesn't mean he's going to desecrate tefillin. So what does it mean, kamash malon? What does it mean, kamash malon? That because he's a ganav, he's going to desecrate tefillin? So I think kamash malon is like this. Kamash malon is the, the power of chait is that once you break down a barrier in one area of life, pretty much there is no other barrier I can't break down as well. Once it's porates together, and this, this herein lies the real difficulty we have with hate. See, it's not the pshat that the entire terribleness of hate is the one avera I commit. It's that the avera I commit paves the way for a whole bunch of other things. He will say, if we look at this even in our own lives, because the truth is Yom Kippur is a good time to be introspective. And sometimes, like, I look at myself and I say, okay, I committed a particular avera. And it's very instructive sometimes to ask myself, how did I get here? Let's say I commit something that, that for me, is something very severe. I did something that I, I never thought I would do. Committed a maisa that I never thought I would do. So it's very instructive to ask myself, how did I get here? How, 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 how did I get to this place? And very rarely in life does a person start with an Avera Hamura, right? It's very rare, right? A person never says, you know what, I'm new to sin. I'm looking, I want to dabble a little bit, right? I want to kind of get my feet wet, right? No one says, let me, let me jump into something severe. That's never how it happens. Rather, what it usually happens is I start with something small 
And once I enter into that world, it becomes a snowball effect. And it's something amazing. So if I commit, and again, this is in person, it's incredibly, it's helpful. So if I know I did something that for me, for me is something very significant to kind of trace it back to the origin, more often than not, what you find is that the path from where I started to where I am is paved with a series of small transgressions. Rabbi Soloveitchik says that in the world of chait, there's two pieces. There's the chait, there's the sin, and there's derech chotim. There's the path to sin. And the path to spiritual decline is often paved again with many, many small negative steps. So the Kamashlan, the Gemara says over here, do Jews desecrate tefillin? No Jew would ever think he would desecrate tefillin. But once I open the door to deleterious negative behavior, Unfortunately, if I don't check myself and I don't stop myself and I don't grab the reins, I could end up engaging in actions that I never thought I would. So what a powerful, powerful lesson for tshuva. I'll just mention, I'll just mention, just to finish up that loch alamaisa, in simon tov kof excuse me, tov kof siv gimel, the Shulchan Aruch speaks about that loch of going ahead and sending gifts. So the Shulchan Aruch actually says, Meshachin Kalim, Shintur, you can send gifts, right? Even clo- even articles of clothing that are not sewn. Shame Ru'in, the Shanalim, as long as you can lie on them. Fafili Yishram Kilayim, Fafili Kishin. O Meshachin Tfilin, Kavan Shiru'in, Anichim Bechal. Shulchan Aruch says, not only can you send gifts that are usable on Yamtiv, but you can even send someone a gift of Tfilin on Yamtiv. <laughs> Wild, right? Why? Because since they're usable during the week, you can send it on Yamtiv. So what's the pshat? What does that mean? So listen to what the Mishnah Buddha says. Kevin shiru'uyim va'afa pisha asr lahotzi shum davar biyamtiv. Kol shen atzarach lo, ve'namotzi el atzarach lo, k'mo she'izbar, mikol makom, kevin shunehne v'sameach, b'mashe mishaleach d'ronos l'chavero, harizet sorech simchas yamtiv. Both say, listen to this. Because what's the whole point of sending gifts? Simchas yamtiv. It's joy of yamtiv, and it's joy on two ends. It's the giver has joy, and the recipient has joy. Mishnah Buddha says, what's the logic? Sometimes in life, it doesn't actually matter what you get or what you give. What matters is that you're giving something and you're getting something. See, even if a person receives a gift on yamtiv that they can't use on yamtiv, the notion that someone else thought about me and gave me a gift accomplishes the mission of simchas yamtiv. And therefore, again, you can even go ahead and send a pair of tulin. And Abose tells us something so incredibly important in halacha, that halacha says, the people you love should know that you love them. Sometimes we think our loved ones know how we feel about them. My wife knows I love her. Of course I love her. Look at everything I do. My kids know that I love them. Look at everything I do. Don't rely on people knowing how you feel about them. Articulate it express it, not just in words, but in deed as well. Because everyone loves being loved. And everyone loves being appreciated. And everyone loves knowing that someone else is thinking about them. And that's permitted to the point that what? You're even allowed to send a pair of tulin on Yomtev. Why? Because another Yid should know that I'm thinking about them. Someone else should know, ah, you can't use the tefillin until after Yom Tif. It's my, you know, you can't, you can't use the tefillin. It's okay. 
but you should at least know that you were on my mind. You should at least know that I was thinking about you. That's Simchas Yom Tov. And I venture to say, living with the knowledge that someone loves you and someone cares about you is not just Simchas Yom Tov. That's also called Simchas HaChayim. That also gives a general sense of joy to life in general. Go say beautiful. Hadrin Aloch, Beitzah. Beautiful. Okay, incredible. Okay, let's start the new parak. Start the new parak. Here we go. Ahmed Beis. Yeah, it's, we have a long break tomorrow, so it's all right. It's uh, plenty of time. So says, says the Mishnah, Yom Tov, Shechalios, Erev Shabbos. We'll say, we're going to get into the fascinating sugya today of, or now, of Eruv Tavshilin. Incredible. Yom Tov, Shechalios, Erev Shabbos. When Yom Tov falls out on Erev Shabbos, Lo Yivashal Betchila Mi Yom Tov L'Shabbos. You cannot cook from Yom Tov to Shabbos. You can't cook from Yom Tov to Shabbos. We already saw this before, we saw this by Rabbah, right? Hachonah de Rabbah, Rabbah say you can only prepare from weekday to Yom Tiv, weekday to Shabbos, but you can't prepare from Shabbos to Yom Tiv, Yom Tiv to Shabbos, or from Shabbos to Chol, Yom Tiv to Chol. So, lo yivashu betchil of Yom Tiv to Shabbos. Aval, what can you do? Mevashu li Yom Tiv, you could cook for Yom Tiv, vim hosir yosir, vim hosir hosir to Shabbos. And if there's anything extra from Yom Tiv, you can use it for Shabbos. Now we'll discuss, we'll define the parameters of that halacha as well. What else can you do? You can make a cooked dish on Erev Yom Tiv. And you can rely on it for Shabbos. Rabbi say this is the concept of Erev Tavshilin. You could prepare a cooked item on Erev Yom Tiv, And ultimately, again, I will say just very quickly, the mechanics of Erev Tavshilin is that when you go ahead and you set aside your food, really you're making your food on Erev Yom Tiv, that is the beginning of your Shabbos preparation. That's the beginning. So the Shabbos preparation is actually beginning on the weekday of Erev Yom Tiv, and everything else you do over the course of Yom Tiv for Shabbos is considered to be an extension of that initial weekday act. That's the mechanics of Erev Tav Shilin. Again, we'll get into it in greater depth. Beishamai Omrim, Shnei Tav Shilin. Beishamai says, for Erev Tav Shilin, you need two cooked foods. Obeisilo Omrim, Tav Shil Echad. Basil says, all you need is one cooked food. Beshavin, but both agree. That if, let's say, for Erev Tavshilin, you used a, a fish with an egg on it. Right? Fish with an egg on it. That, that, that counts for two cooked foods. Achlo, if you ate your Erev Osha Avad, or you lost it. So we'll say, if you lose your Erev Tavshilin, or eat it sometime over Yom you're done. Right? You can't rely on that anymore. Because as we're going to see, the ability to continue to build on the process that started Erev Yom Tiv, right, for the preparation of Shabbos, is, pre- is predicated on the existence of the Erev. Once the Erev doesn't exist, your ability to continue that process is over. But as long as there's something left of the Erev, then ultimately, again, you are good to go. So we'll say, from where do we know that there is this concept, ultimately, again, of Erev Tavshilin? Now, the Gimar Rashi points out, the Gimar is not actually asking me Darais, because Erev Tavshilin is not a Darais. So, Erev Tavshilin is the Rabbanon, right? But, but nevertheless, where did the Rabbanon see a source? For this concept of Erev Tavshilin. Amr Shmuel Domekra, Zachar Yisrael Shabbos Lekad Show. Remember the Shabbos to sanctify. Top, first wide line. Zachreyu, remember it. Me'achar Shabbat Hashkich. Abos said it's very interesting. The idea is you only have to tell someone to remember something. If what? If what? If there's the possibility of forgetting it. Chazal were concerned that when Yom Tov goes into Shabbos, what could happen? People may forget Shabbos. Now what does it mean you're going to forget Shabbos? You're going to use all of your good food 
on Yom Tiv, because Yom Tiv Samach Tiv Bechagecha, come Shabbos, you're going to be eating uh, tuna fish, you know, whatever it is. You know, so that, that's what Chazal were concerned about. So the Eruv, the Eruv essentially makes Shabbos a remembered priority on Erev Yom Tiv by designating the beginning of the cooking process, or by, by, I should say, by initiating the cooking process for Shabbos. My timer, so Yom says, what's the reason? Amar Rava, what's the reason for Eruv? This way again, by, by doing the ear of Tavshilin, a person will make sure they set aside, set aside food for Shabbos, as well as for Yom Tiv. Ravashi Yomar Kadesh Yomro in open Yom Tov the Shabbos, Kavachom Yom Tov Lechol. Further, Ravashi says a little bit differently. Ravashi says that people will say the same way that you can't go ahead and cook from Yom Tov to Shabbos, you certainly can't cook from Yom Tov to a weekday. So, you make a cooked item on Erev Yom Tov and you rely on that for Shabbos. They're both say, according to Ravashi, this makes a lot of sense. That Erev has to be done when? When? On Erev Yom Tov. According to Rava, who says that the whole concept of Erev Tavshilin is that you have food set aside for Shabbos, you should even be able to make your Erev when, this is very interesting, even when? On Shabbos itself. I'm sorry, sorry, on Yom Tiv itself. The Gemara says, you're right. Ultimately, again, you're right. According to Rava, you should even technically be able to make the Erev Tavshilin on on Erev Yom Tiv, I'm sorry, on Yom Tiv itself, but the concern is maybe you'll be negligent, not end up making it, and therefore Chazal ordained that you should make it on, on Erev Yom Tiv. All right, so we'll have to stop over here. I think I'm going to record a little bit of the... Uh, eh. All right, we'll see. We'll see. We'll stop over here. Hashem. Daf tomorrow will be during the break between Musaf and, and Mincha. And Mirat Hashem will be Zohar to learn the daft together. All, all, all are invited. I know that we're in, in different parts over the course, uh, over the course of Yom Tiv. I will say, but Mirat Hashem, we should be Zohar to a beautiful Gimar Chasimatova. Because the Shabbat should inscribe us in the Sefer Rechaim for a year of Shefa, a year of Bracha, a year of Hatzlacha, a year where we are Zohar to continue to bask in the light of the Torah Kedosha and Halavai, a year of Mashiach. Alright, so we're going to continue a little bit on Tesevav Amadveiz, the second part of today's daf. So we began the sugya of Erev Tafshilin, the ability to go ahead and begin preparations on Erev Yamtiv, which are then continued on Yamtiv for the purpose of preparing food for Shabbos. So we left off, we left off on Tesevav Amadveiz, 15b. So the Gemara says, Vitani Maisila Mehacha. It is two, four, six, seven lines down in the wide lines. Vitana Maisila Mehacha. So the Tana, another Tana goes ahead and brings the source for Erev Tafshilin from a different Pasuk. Ace Asher Tofu Ofu, the Ace Asher Tevashlu Bashelu, which literally means that which you will bake, bake, and that which you will cook, cook. Mikan Amra Belazer. From here, Rabbi Lazar said, Which literally means, again, you could only bake 
based on something that is already baked and only cook based on something that is already cooked. We'll see what this means. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here as follows, So the idea over here is what the Rabbi Loz is picking up on is the Pasuk could have just said, bake and cook on Erev Shabbos for Shabbos. So it's interesting because the way he's dashing the Pasuk is, Essentially, if you've baked, you could continue to bake. If you've cooked, you could continue to cook. What does this mean? What does that refer to? Ultimately, again, so based on this Pasuk, Chazal understood Erev Tavshilin. Meaning what? That Chazal understood that the Pasuk is talking about a situation over here where in order to prepare for Shabbos, the preparation must have already started at some prior time. So what's the situation where in order to prepare for Shabbos, you have to have started at some prior time? Elamai, that's Erev Tavshilin. So to be clear, everyone is agreeing that, of course, Erev Tavshilin is a rabbinic innovation. Right, that, that's clear. The shayim that the Gemara is just trying to clear over here is what pasuk seems to support this concept of eruv tafshilin. The mechanics are the same, which is that halacha lemais. Although we saw machlokes as to why eruv tafshilin works, but remember the idea for us is as follows. The goal here is to ensure that we don't prepare on Yom Tov for Shabbos because the act of preparing on Yom Tov for Shabbos may be problematic. Whether it's problematic whether it's problematic it is problematic. So what does Erev Tavshilin do? We begin the process of cooking. We'll discuss cooking, baking in tomorrow's daf, but we begin the process of food preparation on Erev Yom Tov. So for example, let's say where Yom Tov is Friday, going into Shabbos. So we'd make the Erev on Thursday, Erev Yom Tov. What we do is we begin the Shabbos preparations on Chol, on a weekday. That way, whatever I end up doing on Friday is not considered to be an act of Yom Tov preparation for Shabbos, but rather it's considered to be an extension of the weekday preparation. The preparation I began on Thursday, weekday preparation, continuing that into Shabbos. And of course, that is Mutter. Sigmar tells a story. Rabbi Eliezer was giving a shear, giving a shear in the base medrash on Hilchos Yamtiv. So what happens? Apparently, the shear was going on for a while. Rashi points out over here, so even the Gemara itself says that he was going ahead and Dorish Kol Hayom Kulo. He was, uh, it was a long drasha. It was a long shear. So what happens? He's giving the shear, and the first group of people get up to leave the base medrash. And Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer was upset. Amru, halalu ba'alei patasin. These people are clearly owners of barrels. So this is a reference Rashi points out over here. Ba'alei patasin, hechavios kidolos echino lahem. So umasach mishtaus. So he says, essentially, they own a lot of wine. So because they own a lot of wine, they have a lot to drink over Yamtiv. So they have so much to drink that they can't stay for the shear. They have to go ahead and begin drinking. Kashnia, the second group of people got up to leave. Amr halalu ba'alei chavios. These guys, they don't own barrels, but they own kegs. So they don't own as much wine, as much alcohol, but they have kegs of alcohol. Again, getting upset that they're leaving the base medrash to go ahead and partake of their yamtiv suda. Kashlishis, the third group gets up. Amr halalu ba'alei kadin. These guys, they don't own barrels, they don't own kegs, but they own jugs. So what he was saying is essentially, the later they were leaving, oh, they, they have to go drink, but clearly they have less to drink. 
Kas Revius, the fourth group gets up. Amru Halalu Baali Leginin. These guys, they only have flasks. That's why they're leaving now. Kas Chamishes, the fifth group got up. Amru Halalu Baali Kosos. They just own cups of wine. Hischilu Kas Shlishes Lotzeis. The sixth group was getting ready to. They were so they were leaving in shifts. They were leaving in shifts. The sixth, the sixth group gets up and gets ready to leave. Amru Halalu Baali Meira. These individuals. Balimira are literally again responsible for destruction or for desolation. Now, what's interesting is Rabbi Eliezer was clearly much more severe in his judgment of the sixth group. Why? Sarashi points out over here. Halalu Bali Meira, Shaya Bes Hamedrish Misroknon Maud, Uginai Hadarvakashabeno. This is very interesting. By the time the sixth group was getting ready to leave, they were getting up, the base medrash was pretty much empty. So it's interesting. It's one thing if you leave the base medrash and there's a lot of people there. It's one thing if you leave and there are other chaburas there. Okay, it's not good to leave. But La Maisa, you're not leaving the base medrash empty. By the time this sixth group was ready to leave, the base medrash was pretty much empty. So Rabbi was very upset. Rabbi Eliezer, sorry. Rabbi Eliezer was very upset. And he felt, you know, to leave a shir is, is a lack of derech eretz to begin with. For Rabbi Eliezer. You know, for Rabbi Eliezer, it was a lack of, felt it was lack of derech eretz for the Tamidim to leave the shir. But to leave the shir in a way that's even more noticeable, more discernible, leaves the base medrash empty, then you're responsible for the desolation of Torah. Very strong. So what happened? Nasan enov betamidim. So what happens? He began to look at the group who remained. Right? There were, now there was a small chevra. And Rabbi Eliezer began to look at this group. So what happened? His schilu and mishtanin. They began to turn pale because they thought that he was going to be angry at them as well. In other words, he, he had expressed his frustration at every group. Group 1, group 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Now there's the remaining Chevron in the base marriage. He looks towards them and he looks upset. So they get upset. They get fearful that the Rebbe is going to be upset with them. Amr lahem banai sese no my sons. Lo lachem ani omer. I'm not upset at you. I'm not upset at you at all. At all. So what happens? I'm only upset at the groups that left. A very profound statement. Why was Eliezer upset? So you might have thought when you read the story, maybe it's his, maybe it's his ego. Right? Maybe he's upset. I'm giving the shear. I'm giving the drush. I prepared so hard and now you're leaving. He wasn't upset for his covet. He was upset because he felt that they had a flawed hierarchy of needs or value system. That here we're learning Torah, Chaye Olam, eternal life. And how can you go ahead and leave behind the Torah to engage in physical celebration? Sure, the wine is good, the beer is good, the meat is good, everything is wonderful, but I'm giving you eternal life in Torah and yet you're forsaking all of that to run out and to embrace temporal, physical pleasure and enjoyment. How can you do that? Bishas Petiras, when the shir was over and the remaining chavra was leaving the Mace Magistrate, Rabbi Eliezer said to them, Amr Lahem, Luchu, so very beautifully, he blessed them with the Pasuk from Nehemiah, where Nehemiah says to them, Go 
and eat of your food, drink of your sweet items, send gifts to one another without without number, for the day is sanctified. La Adonenu for Hakadosh Baruch Hu. do not be sad. The joy of Hashem will be your strength. So again, Rabbi Eliezer recognized you can't learn the whole day. You have to go and enjoy your Suda. But to that last Chevra that remained in the base Madrash till the end of the Shir, he gave them a special bracha. Amar Mar, Shemanichin Olam Ba'oskim Samar said, what does that mean? That they're going ahead and they're leaving behind. They're leaving behind Chai Olam, right? Eternal life Torah, and just engaging in temporal pleasure. Vasim Chasyamtiv Mitzvi. There's a mitzvah to rejoice on Yamtiv. Rabbi, we'll see. Vasamachte Bechagecha. There's a mitzvah to rejoice. So it's not like they're going out to the pub, they're going out to the bar, they're just going out just stamp to eat a meal. Chas Vishalom. It's a Sudas Yamtiv. There's a mitzvah to rejoice on Yamtiv. Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Eliezer goes according to his opinion because Rabbi Eliezer holds that the rejoicing on Yom Tiv is not a mitzvah, rather it is a rishos. It is an optional pursuit. So we'll say we'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up Emirat Sasha. Well, actually, let's finish. Desanya, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Rabbi Eliezer is an interesting model. Rabbi Eliezer says that on Yom Tiv you have to choose. You have to choose. Do you want to devote yourself to spiritual pursuits or to physical material pursuits? That is the choice. You have to decide how to designate your Yom Tov. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Chalkeyu. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, you could split the day. Chatz Yav Hashem V'chatz Yav Half of the day goes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Half of the day goes for your physical enjoyment. Am Rabbi Yochanan, Ushneim Mikra Echad Darshu. They both went ahead and darshan the same Pasuk. Kasav Echad Omer, Aitzeres LaShem Elokecha. One Pasuk says that Yom Tiv should be for Hashem your God. Vikasav Echad Omer, Aitzeres Tiyalochem. And one Pasuk says Yom Tiv should be for you. So which one is it? Is Yom Tiv for you? Is Yom Tiv for Hashem? HaKetzad, Rabbi Eliezer Savar, Okula LaShem, Okula Lachem. Rabbi Eliezer understands that at the end of the day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving you a choice. You could choose one of two paradigms. Either make Yom Tev about you or make Yom Tev about me. That's the choice. That's the choice. Rabbi Yeshua Savar, Chalkeyu, Chatziav Lashem, Vechatziav Lachem. Whereas Rabbi Yeshua says, no, split the day, half of the day to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, half of the day to you. Ultimately, again, a, a combination. It's really an incredible thing. We'll talk about this more in tomorrow's daf. But this notion that Rabbi Eliezer holds, O Kula Lahashem, O Kula Lachem, represents almost a hashkafa sachayim of black and white. A person has to decide which world they're going to live in. Is a person going to live in the world of, of of, of Lashem or Lachem. Again, we'll discuss how anyone can make a decision like that because doesn't life always have to be a synthesis, right? Doesn't life always have to be a combination? Which is why ultimately, again, the position of Rabbi Yoshua seems so much more intuitive. Half of it is for me, half of it is for Hashem. Isn't that not just Yom Tiv, but isn't that ultimately the paradigm for life? Is, isn't that ultimately what it is? Furthermore, how could Rabbi Eliezer actually be saying, Kula Hashem? What does that mean? That you're supposed to spend the entire day of Yom Tiv 
ultimately, again, in the base measures and not enjoying the Sudas Yamtiv and not, not partaking of any physical pleasures. So again, we'll frame the Machlokas today, Amir Hashem. So the Machlokas, we'll see, is not just the Machlokas by Yamtiv, but perhaps even a Machlokas in Hashkafas HaChayim. That at the end of the day, how is one supposed to live life? Is life an either or? of either I serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or ultimately, again, I focus on my own needs, or is life ultimately this synthesis of the two? So we'll stop over here for today. Look forward to Miraz Hashem learning tomorrow's daf together with you on Yom Kippur, B'Sha'atova, U'Mitzlachos, and wishing everyone a Gemar Chasimatova.